Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10 this morning. I'm going to share with you the most popular worship song in America. As soon as I get it here, there we go. You'll, you'll probably recognize it immediately. I'm not going to sing the whole thing. I'm just I'm going to read it, but I'm just going to sing that first, first line for you. Uh, most popular worship song in America today. And has been for quite some time, as a matter of fact. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. Who sang that? And what's the song? My way. Ha ha. Gotcha. The most popular worship song in America today, I believe, is My Way. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I don't think he's saying it that way, but you know. I faced it all, and I stood tall and did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried, I've had my fill, my share of losing, and now as tears subside, I find it all, all so amusing to think I did all that, and may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, no, not me, I did it my way. For what is man, what has he got, if not himself, then he has not to say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way, and did it my way. I think that's the most popular worship song in America today, and has been for quite some time. I, I would even dare say that was the most popular worship song in America long before the song itself ever came out because we are so proud of doing it our way old blue eyes Frank Sinatra one pastor said that my way is the theme song of every person in hell they can sing that song and mean every word of it especially the refrain I did it my way it's also the theme song of every disobedient Christian. I did it my way. Maybe, maybe I'm doing it my way. And it appears at this moment, as we look at Paul, it could have been Paul's favorite song too. He was doing it his way. Now, I'm going to admit something to you. I've gotten some pushback uh, on, on last week's message and where I'm going this week with this week's message. A couple of different people, actually three different people, one of them being my wife. Are you sure about that? I mean, are you? Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure. We're going to learn about a, a group of people called the Bereans here in a, in a few weeks. Paul shows up and he preaches to them on what is then his second missionary journey. And they say, that sounds interesting, Paul. We're going to go to Scripture. And they go to Scripture and they're like, all right, he said this. And Scripture said, he said that. And Scripture says that. And okay, he said that. Yep, Scripture. All right, Paul, good. We'll listen. I have no problem with y'all doing that. It is an absolute fact I might be wrong. 
did you get that, John? Did you, was that recorded? I want to make sure that, because there are going to be people, people wanting to go back to that. Could you play it when he said that again? I have no problem with that. But I do believe what we're seeing here in the life of Paul at this moment is disobedience. And I think we're going to see this again uh, in chapters 19, 21, 22. We're going, to talk, we're going to flash forward a little bit this morning as we look at that. But we, we began this story of Paul, of him in disobedience last week. Um, well, let's read the scripture and we'll, we'll talk about it then uh, after that. Acts 16, 1 through 10. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman. But his father was Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, as we get into this, and uh, folks are saying, I just don't see that with Paul and, and, and disobedience. Well, let's, let's recap some decisions that Paul has made in chapter 15. Verse 36 of chapter 15, uh, Paul says, after some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas. Now, it's not a problem for Paul to talk. He's allowed to talk. But Paul said, not the Holy Spirit said, Paul said. 1538, but Paul insisted. 1540, but Paul chose. Uh, 1541, Paul strengthened. Paul was strengthening. There is no mention of the Holy Spirit's leading. None. And, and while, as I've told you before, uh, and I'll say again this Sunday because it, uh, it, it's still going to sound like I'm preaching from what's not there. I'm not preaching text that isn't there. It's, it, it's not that I'm preaching the Holy Spirit not being there because it's not in the text. I'm preaching it because Luke is very specific about what he does with the text. I've used this phrase before too. What is the reason for what Luke's write, or Luke writes, or any of the gospel, any of the, uh, excuse me, the, the Bible, biblical authors write? The, 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 the reason he writes those things the way he does, and that's what we're looking at here. No mention of the Spirit's leading, and some pretty major decisions. We, say that we see that Paul said, and Paul insisted, and Paul chose, and Paul strengthened, and it appears, I'm, I'll, I'll allow the caveat for those of you who are uh, disagreeing with me, I'll allow the caveat, it appears that Paul is appearing to do it his way. Now, we have the benefit of reading further on, which is a little bit of what we're going to do this morning, 
and seeing some patterns that aren't as clear now but come up later when we uh, get to other cha later chapters in Acts. We have the benefit of his letters where he gets to discuss some of these things that were going on. But we're going to deal with what it says right here. So Paul, in verse 1, while I will say he is wandering, he finds Timothy. He does that in verse 1. Paul went to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. Now, just as Silas, as I said last week, was God's healing of the loss of Barnabas, uh, there are a number of reasons Paul needed someone like Barnabas or Silas. They were both a connection to the Jerusalem church. They were uh, both in both uh, all the missionary, both missionary journeys. The first one that Barnabas went on, the second one that will begin that Silas is going on. They are great strengths and comfort to Paul. It was somebody he needed. Just as Silas was God doing something in the life of Paul and, and healing this loss, we see that now Timothy is healing the loss of John Mark. John Mark, even though he was in there for just a short period of time, he fulfilled a role. As a matter of fact, Paul is going to say later, as he writes to Timothy in uh, the second letter to Timothy, and send John Mark, for he is very useful to me. So we see healing take place later on. We see reconciliation. We know that John Mark was useful. And here we see, as it progresses through the book of Acts and in the letters, that Timothy was extremely, extremely useful, like a son to Paul. So even in this wandering, even, even if I'm right that this is a wandering time of disobedience, whether I'm right or wrong, God is still putting, in pe pe putting people in the places he needs them to be in order to be to Paul what they need to be. God is not, God's sovereignty is not damaged by our disobedience, by our uh, wandering, by our going our own way. That was the whole point of last week's message, that God's not surprised and his sovereignty is not damaged by those things. He's still working the pieces, even in the disobedience. God was not surprised by the disobedience, but God still uses the disobedience. And we learn about uh, a little bit more about Timothy. The brothers and sisters at Lystra, verse 2, and Iconium, they spoke highly of him. Timothy's probably the result of Paul's first uh, visit to these churches. He may have been there when Paul was uh, beaten and thrown out on the... Uh, uh, in the landfill to die, and miraculously came back. Timothy may have seen all that, same, kind of the same way Paul stood back and saw what happened to Stephen. Maybe this is a, kind of a, a, a redoing a little bit of that story, and Timothy was uh, converted at some point. Mama was a, a believing Jew, or was a, a Jew, and uh, a believing Jew, yes, and uh, daddy was Greek, so that created some issues. And verse 3 says, Paul wanted. Now, again, we have a theme here of Paul, Paul, Paul. Paul saying, Paul doing, Paul wanting. And Paul still makes some good decisions. This was a good decision. The decision to have Timothy, who is at least teenager, uh, adult in their day, having him 
circumcised was a missionary decision. It would be the same reason that our missionaries in uh, predominantly Muslim countries today will wear the headscarves when they go and visit those countries. Why? Because we don't want to be any sort of barrier, any sort of uh, burden for the gospel. So they go and they fit into the culture as much as possible in order to reach as many people as possible with the gospel. That's what this was. This wasn't Paul saying, well, you know, Timothy, in order to be saved, you have to go through these rituals. That's not what he's saying at all. There's no mention of salvation. Timothy's been a believer for quite some time now. Paul says, in order to be an effective witness, and, and probably with this letter in hand that we're going to read about here in a second that they, they had in Jerusalem, all these issues. He didn't have to be uh, circumcised in order to be a missionary. The only thing he had to do, according to the letter, was the, the food laws, the food issues. Don't, don't do anything to, to disrupt Jewish worship and Jewish sensibilities as you lead them or as you reach out to them. But Paul knew this would be a disruption. Here, he was going to look like to everybody in a synagogue as an apostate Jew, because of this. They knew he had a Greek father. They knew all these things. So Paul says, here, you need to do this. It was a good decision. But Paul still made the decision. And it, and it appears, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the, the, uh, the, the language of uh, uh, uncertainty uh, just to, to help you out a little bit. It appears that he's doing, making this decision based on his own knowledge and his own reasons. And so he does this, and God still works in our wandering obedience. Again, a good decision, but was it based on what God told him to do? Eh, possibly. It, we go back. But it's still very Paul-centered. And then we see in verse 5, or verse 4, as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. They've got that letter from the elders in Jerusalem, and as they pass through the towns, uh, the churches strengthen and grow, verse 5 tells us. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This is the fourth progress report that uh, Luke gives. He, he's done this uh, uh, three other times where he says, and the churches uh, were strengthened in the faith, and grew in numbers. And this is uh, that situation happening now. But let's ask a question. If I'm right that it was not God's will, perfect will, it was not God's plan for Paul to go back and strengthen these churches he'd already been to, if I'm right about that, it's not a bad thing to go back to those churches and strengthen them, right? Say, no, it's not a bad thing. And so you know, you agree, it's not a bad thing to go back. We want our churches to be strong. We want our churches to grow. Was that Paul's job? Now, I won't ask you to answer that because you might disagree with me. But was that Paul's job? Paul was a missionary to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He was not intended to be a discipler that grew those churches. And that's what he's doing here. What he's doing is not a bad thing. But is it the best thing? It's, it's not wrong, unless he's completely outside of God's will. But is it the best thing? Is it what he is called to do? Well, I think that question is still in the air a little bit. The Jerusalem conference was a success, and it led to churches reaching people. It's hard for us to see how that could work. Really, a letter from 
Jerusalem saying, uh, sure, Gentiles can be saved, but you know, do these three or four things just to, to, to keep the fellowship happy. Could that grow a church? Let me ask it this way. Which grows a church, unity or disunity? Correct answer is unity. Unity grows a church. Now, that's not the only thing that grows a church, but a church will not grow in disunity. Will not happen. So what this letter does is it brings the church people together and says, you church of, of Jews and Gentiles and, and uh, Galatians and, and Phrygians and uh, Lystrans and Iconians, all these different people, all these different groups, uh, Gauls and, and Celts and all these people that live in these various areas, you can all come to church together. It, 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 it's, it's, it's not just okay, it's the way God designed it. It's what uh, 1538 says, what the Holy Spirit told us to do. This letter grows the churches. Now, as we read through Acts, we read a lot of uh, missionary activity on the part of Paul. Going into the synagogues and preaching and, and healing people. And starting churches and, and raising up elders and training them before he leaves to go on to the next church. And what do we see Paul doing in verses 1 through 5? He's, he's reading a letter. This is not the Paul of the first missionary journey. This is not the Paul in Macedonia that we're going to see in a little while in those areas. This is not the Paul in, Ephesia, in Ephesus of the third missionary journey reaching people and, and going to the synagogues. This is Paul reading a letter that was written from Jerusalem. Well, okay. So he keeps walking. He's, he's, he's still wandering. The churches were strengthened in the faith, and they grew daily in numbers. And so they leave. Now, just to give you an idea of what's, uh, what's going on, you can kind of see the map up there, um, but it's not a, a you, you can't see Antioch and all that. So what he has done is he has left, uh, I'm going to do it this way, he's left Antioch, and he's traveled up into Turkey. Antioch is right in the corner of where Turkey and the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean Sea is here. Israel's down here. Damascus and the other uh, Syria and other places. Antioch's right here. So he's gone up into Turkey, and he's going kind of a excuse me, going to kind of a northwesterly route. And he decides in verse six, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. That's uh, uh, kind of in the middle there. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Asia would have been the very tip of Turkey, where Ephesus is. They had been forbidden then for, to, to, from taking that left turn. They were going to go up north, northwest, and take that left turn due west into Turkey. And they had been forbidden by whom? The Holy Spirit. This is the first mention of the Holy Spirit since verse 28 of chapter 15, the letter that they sent out from the Jerusalem conference. And this next time that we hear from the Holy Spirit is not a calling, but a restriction. The Holy Spirit is having to stop Paul from doing something. Keep that in mind. He's had to stop him. Is there another time Paul, maybe he was called something else at the time, was had, to, had to be stopped from doing something? We'll get there. It's a restriction, not a calling. Now, in our brain, and, and I, I think this too, but Lord, there are lost people in... Asia. There are lost people in Ephesus. He, Paul is going to have a tremendous ministry, probably his greatest success in all of his missionary work in Ephesus one day. But that day is not today. 
That day, this is not the time. There are lost people, but it's not Paul's time or place to be in Asia. It's not a bad thing, but it's not the best thing. It's not what God is doing at this point. Well, we kind of have an echo here of, of maybe what we've been talking about a little bit before. Churches should be strengthened, but it wasn't Paul's place or time to go back through those churches and strengthen them. We get no mandate from the Lord for doing that. All right, well, maybe this is an anomaly. Keep going. Verse 7. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, what, what's happening here? So he's, he's gone up into, in, into Turkey, and he wants to turn left and go to Asia, due west, and, and the Holy Spirit prevents him. So now he's going to go turn right, and he's going to go north-northeast. He's going to go to the Black Sea region, if, if that helps you out on your geography at all. And he's forbidden. I can't go left. I'll go right. And he's forbidden. But notice... What it says, he, he was forbidden by the Spirit of Jesus. This is the only time this phrase is used in the New Testament. Now, there, there are variations. I think there's a Spirit of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus the Christ, or the Spirit of Christ, or something elsewhere. It's the only time Luke uses it, and the only time this particular phrase is used. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But notice something. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, and our, our poor English just doesn't cover it. This, this word uh, was repeatedly trying. It, it doesn't just mean he, he tried once and didn't get in. It says he was repeatedly trying. What we, the, the image of this imperfect verb is that, God, that Paul is arguing about wanting to go into Bithynia. Very wealthy cities, port cities on the Black Sea. He is arguing with the Spirit of Jesus. One more time, let me say this. It was not a bad thing to go into Bithynia, but it was not the best thing. It was not what God had for him. We don't know this at this point in the narrative, but this is not the first time Paul has argued with Jesus. Uh, if you flip over to chapter 22, and this is where we do some flash forwarding, Chapter 22, verses 17 through 21, Paul is giving his testimony of the Damascus Road experience. Again, this is his third time, maybe fourth time, to, to give uh, this, this testimony. And in this testimony, he adds some information that we've not heard before. It wasn't in uh, the narrative of chapter uh, 6 or wherever it happened, chapter 6, I believe, uh, chapter 9, rather. Uh, it, it wasn't in the narrative of chapter 9 where it actually happened. It wasn't in Paul's account uh, standing before anyone later on. But here in this account, standing up in front, of, uh, uh, in, the, in front of these folks in Jerusalem, he says in verse 17, After I return to Jerusalem, this is after the Damascus Road, he's, he's in Jerusalem, this is when, um, probably after Barnabas went and got him in Tarsus, after I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. And I saw him, Jesus, telling me, hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Verse 19 should say, and immediately I got up and left. That's not what it says. But I said, Lord, 
they know that in synagogue after synagogue, I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who killed him. Lord, they know my testimony. They know how much I have changed. They know how different I am. Don't you need me in Jerusalem? And he said to me, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. We'll talk about that passage more when we get there. But you just need to see that this is not the first time in verse 16 that Paul has argued with Jesus. He did it back in chapter 10, 11, somewhere along in there. We just didn't know at the time. This is also not the first time Jesus has shown up in Paul's disobedience, or in this case, Saul's disobedience. In my house, and maybe it was this way at your house, when mama has had it up to here, who does she call? It ain't the Ghostbusters. It's daddy. Don't make me get him, get daddy in here, because I, I just, I know what I'm supposed to do when I get there, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the enforcer. Uh, if, if they just won't, I'm the one that has to finally lay down uh, the law on them. You get that impression, I get that impression with Paul. The Holy Spirit has told him, don't go here, don't go there. He has made decisions in the past without, as far as we can see, consulting the Lord at all, at least in the way Luke narrates the story, which is odd for Luke to leave those sorts of uh, uh, points out. And Jesus shows up and says, um, Paul, he's done it before, Damascus Road, Jesus showed up. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Shows up a little later in the trance, in a vision in the temple. Paul, Saul, you need to get out of Jerusalem. But Jesus, get out. And now, after Paul said and Paul insisted and Paul decided... The Spirit of Jesus shows up. When Jesus shows up and gets in Paul's face, as we have it in Acts, twice Paul's in disobedience, and once he argues with Jesus. See where maybe this is going? So Paul's at a decision now. Uh, he, he's got to figure out the, the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, has not yet told him, based on what we can see, what to do. He, he's, he doesn't have a clue now. Well, what am I supposed to do? I can't go back. Verse 8 the end of the road. I can't go back. That's not possible. We're on a mission trip. We can't go home. We told the folks we were going to go to the, all the churches and strengthen them and, and, and reach people with Jesus. We can't go back to Antioch. I can't go left. The Holy Spirit told me not to go left. That would have been a great place. Ephesus, all that. Ephesus is a great city. I can't go right. Spirit of Jesus showed up this time and said, no, you can't go this direction. I guess we'll keep walking. Keep going straight. I see here very much an Israel wandering in the desert. Not listening, not having asked for guidance to begin with, and a physically lost, spiritually not lost in the sense of he doesn't know Jesus, obviously, spiritually uh, 
let's say deaf at the moment, wandering Paul. And so he goes straight. I can't go back. I can't go left. I can't go right. We will go straight. And that gets them to the water's edge. That gets them to Troas, looking across the sea, the Dardanelles Straits, at Greece. And he has no, has no more options. And God yells. And that's the title of the message this morning, When God Yells. I kind of left that out to the end. When God yells. Now, I contend that when God yells, it's not loud. I don't, I don't mean yelling like that. I think God has been yelling throughout these few verses from the end of chapter 15 into chapter 16. God has been yelling. God's yell is a quiet yell. It is unmistakable. It is intense. It is direct. And I think God now yells at Paul. Part of the reason is Paul's out of options. I got nothing else to do. It's often at, often at the end of our chosen road that things get quiet enough that we hear God yelling. And if that's the theme you get from the message this morning, if that's what you take home, that's perfectly fine with me. It is often at the end of our chosen road that things get quiet enough that we hear God yell. The Spirit of Jesus says, nope, don't go here, don't go there. I have nowhere to go, Lord. And God says, good. Now will you listen? Verses 9 and 10. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he'd seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There, had, there would have been a much quicker route to Macedonia than the, tr- the road route that Paul took at this point. He could have left from one of the ports in Israel, gone across the Mediterranean, up to Greece, been there in just a few days rather than a few weeks or probably a few months of traveling by road. But we now have, in verse 9, the beginning of the second missionary journey. The second missionary journey really hasn't started yet. And this third vision, this is the third time Paul has had a vision, an actual vision of seeing Jesus, or seeing someone. This, in this case, it's not Jesus. Third vision, first on the Damascus Road, second in the temple, and now he sees this Macedonian, and it's a, one, it's a vision of correction, just like the first two. You can't go left, you can't go back, uh, right, you won't go back. I've got to correct your route and let, tell you what to do because you've not been listening. It's 830 miles. Let's, let's wrap this up, this, this passage up. It's 830 miles from Antioch to Troas. And in those 830 miles, in Luke's recording of it, we have no sermons, no synagogues, no converts, no miracles, and no church plants. Nothing. Read back over his first missionary journey. What do we have? He goes in the synagogues. People get saved. People argue. People fight him. People beat him up. He leaves. He comes back. He meets them. They get saved. It's over and over. There is, there is growth. There are churches being planted. There, there is the work of God. There's miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit in those uh, places. If we wait just a little bit and we read just the next passage when he finally goes into Macedonia we see uh, Lydia get saved we see the Philippian uh, jailer get saved we see 
a miracle of deliverance. We see churches being started. We, uh, we go through that second missionary journey. We're going to end up on the third missionary journey in Ephesus. And Ephesus is the crowning jewel of Paul's missionary journey. When God is working through Paul, when God is leading Paul, when Paul is listening to the Lord, there is nothing that can stop Paul. There is no fight from the people that will stop him or slow him down. It'll hurt. It'll be painful. He'll get beat up. He knows all those things. That's not an indicator that something's not working right. The indicator that something's not working right is when you have no fruit, and Paul has had no fruit for nearly a thousand miles. When Paul is in obedience, incredible evangelism takes place. Things aren't easy. People are reached for the gospel. If I could step out of the passage for just a second, it's the same for churches. When we are in God's will, when we are listening, when we are obedient, we reach people for Jesus. When we are dis- in disunity, when we are being sinful, when we are fighting, when we're not listening to God, when we're not hearing, it's been pointed out to me, and, and, and I agree. We've talked about this a few times. We had, help me out, somebody, Tom, Amy, five baptisms. How many baptisms did we have in January? Maybe we didn't have any in January. They showed up in February, and a few today. We had numerous decisions. We've had people join the church. What was different about January? Wasn't colder, wasn't warmer, less rain, more rain. Prayer and fasting. We were a church seeking the Lord, and the Lord blessed. I think we see some parallels there, but let, that's, a, that's another sermon. I won't get caught up there at the moment. So, verse 10, uh, verse 9, they see this vision. Verse 10, they have a clear missionary mandate, finally. They know what they're, where they're supposed to go, and they, are know, they know what they're supposed to do. After he had seen the vision, after he knew the plan, finally, what do we have here? We have God's intervention. We have God's doing, not Paul's doing. Not Paul saying, Paul acting, Paul uh, insisting. We have God showing up through a vision, speaking to him through a vision of a Macedonian man. And in the end of verse 10, we have what I believe is the grandest, greatest, most profound understatement in the entire New Testament. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Duh! I mean, I had that in my notes. A resounding duh from heaven. You think? I'm asleep, and a Macedonian man appears in my, uh, in my dream and says, Come across and help us. He, he, I, I guarantee you Paul didn't think, Well, I wonder if they need money. Help us. Food drive. They're hungry in Macedonia. No, he knew they needed the gospel. And he heard the message uh, this, this resounding dove from God, when, the, when it says, uh, after we had seen the vi- he had seen the vision, we, Luke is suddenly in the story now, after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I believe, as the last two sermons show, 
Paul would have known that if he had only listened sooner. I think the entire story, Cyprus would have been a good stopping off point on the way to uh, uh, Greece, uh, Macedonia. Uh, that, that, but it didn't have to be. It might have been. It, it absolutely may have been time for Paul and Barnabas to split. And, and when people leave, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. If you remember when the Nunnelies uh, went back to the church in Vinton, we had a commissioning prayer for them because they felt like God was leading them to their community. That's a glorious thing. That's growth by division. That's growth by subtraction that we're sending out missionaries, even if it's the, to the community of Vinton. Splitting up like this does not have to be a negative thing, but it always will be if the two people involved are not in God's will, are not seeking the best. Timothy clearly was what Paul needed. Silas was clearly what Paul needed. But God can work all of those things out. We've done this. I really do want to wrap it up. We've done this in our own lives. We've questioned decisions we've made in the past. We know there are times in our past when we have made the wrong decision. I, I can tell you the, 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 almost the date of us, and I've, I've t- shared this with you before, almost the date of us deciding not to go to a particular church in 2000. Uh, actually, I think the decision we made was in 2002. Uh, was it on later, later on? Okay. Uh, in 2003 then, not to go to a particular church because it would be hard. Uh, it was just going to be difficult. We didn't, no, we don't want to do that. And so we didn't. And for 11 years, we walked in a wilderness. Seven years, we walked in a wilderness, wandered a wilderness. And we've often thought, I've often thought, if we had made the correct choice then, would we still be in sulfur today? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if I'm the consolation prize to y'all or what. Uh, you know, you didn't, you, so you got Mike. Yeah, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know any of that. I, I trust God's sovereignty is much bigger than consolation prizes. But I've wondered, and I'll never know the answer. Is this where I would be if, if we had made the correct the, the decision? I know we were disobedient in and went the wrong way. Would we still be here today? I don't know. But if I weren't, y'all wouldn't miss me. Let's be honest, if suddenly I weren't, you, some of you still wouldn't miss me. That's all right, too. I, I, I get that. That's fine. Um, we can't know the answer to those questions, the what ifs. But I know the answer to my question in May-ish of 2003. The answer to that question was I was disobedient. I was not listening to God. I made, quote, good decisions. I didn't make right decisions. Did the church I went to, First Baptist Galveston, need a minister of music and education? Yeah. Was I the person for them? No. Trust me, we both knew that after six months. Next church, we both knew it after six months. But then we got a clear missionary mandate. God spoke. Just like he did to Paul. All right. That was an aside. That wasn't even in my notes. Believer, this morning, how long have you been singing my way? How long has that been your theme song? How many decisions or what decisions have you made without God, believer? Have you been choosing the next steps? 
Has it been? Michael chose. Michael said. Michael insisted. We're talking about my life. Insert your name here. Have you been choosing those next steps? Have you repeatedly hit dead ends and closed doors? Failure is not a dead end or a closed door. I will take failure in God's will over success outside of his will any day. Any day. I want to be where God wants me. I don't care if it kills me. Right? That's supposed to be our belief, our faith. So a dead end or a closed door in his will doesn't matter. But have you experienced those and you look back at where was God in that? Maybe he's asking you, where were you in that? The positive here is know that even if you've been singing my way, know that God has still been preparing you. He's still been bringing you a Silas. He's still been bringing you a Timothy. He's still been using those, instru- uh, those instruments in your life to prepare you. Let me ask you this then. Are you at the end of, God, uh, at the end of your road, believer? Have you come to Troas and you can't go back and you can't go left and you can't go right and you, where am I supposed to go? Hear God yell to you this morning. Quietly, intensely, pointedly. Hear him yell. Unbeliever, it's bad enough when believers sing my way. But unbeliever, you can sing my way all the way to hell. How long, unbeliever, will you believe that you can save yourself? How long will you sing the song my way, believing you can get to heaven your way? How long will you believe, unbeliever, that you don't need God? I don't need religion. I don't need the Bible. I don't need Jesus. I'll do it my way. How long will you ignore the gospel message and believe your message? Don't believe your own press. It's fake news. And then, unbeliever, will your road end with no intervention by Jesus? Will you come to the end of your road and you have no left, no right, and you can't go back, and that's truly the end for you? Before you get there, hear God yell softly and tenderly hear him yell and call your name it's a quiet yell it's a yell that you feel in your heart it won't bust your eardrums it won't startle you but you'll know it as he yells to your heart that holy spirit draws you and you're going to wonder well what do i do haha <laughs> good question admit that you're a sinner Repent of your sin and ask God to forgive you. Believe that Jesus is the perfect son of God who, do, who died for your sins. It's what these three uh, young uh, ladies did at some point. This is what they did. They came to a point in their lives where they made a decision. They believed that Jesus was the perfect son of God who died for their sins. And then they chose to follow him by giving him their lives. That was their public display of that, of them becoming a part of the family. But that happened when they believed. Listen to that quiet yell this morning. Respond to that quiet yell. Unbeliever, listen to God yell at your heart, believer, and try to get you back on the path that you've been ignoring. For how long now? Pray with me. Lord, we thank you.
that even our biblical heroes struggled. God, and, and, and I pray that if, if I'm wrong in what you meant for this passage uh, to say to us today, I pray that you would forgive me and that the message is, 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 of your word is still clear, that you would work through a feeble attempt to expound on your word and hit our hearts, whether my interpretation is right or wrong. God, we know this morning that you want us to hear you. I know I'm right about that. I know I'm right that you are calling all of us to you. For some of us, it'll be a, a first-time response to respond in faith to the salvation of Jesus on the cross. For others of us, it'll be just the next vision that we get that corrects us and we hear you say, go this way, and we say, yes, Lord, and we stop arguing, and we stop ignoring. And God, I pray that you would work on every heart this morning, that you would speak to us clearly what your word has to say to us. And you would give us a vision, each one of us, for our new future in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a vision for our future. Did you get one this morning? Do you know of something? Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been seeking my own way here. I, I, I thought I could save myself, but I can't. How should you respond to that? Well, there are a number of ways. You can accept Christ right where you are, trust in your heart, repent of your sin. Lord Jesus, I don't want to be my own person anymore. I don't want to sing my way. I want to sing your way. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you're a believer and, and you need to follow in obedience and baptism. You need to give something over to him at these, chair, at these prayer rails. You need to pray with me or uh, Jordan. He'll be over here in this corner. I'll be over in the left. Whatever you have to do this morning, do it. God's calling. He's leading. Let's stand and sing and do business with him this morning.